Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to 32 Fans in 32 Days. I'm Alex Chester. With me as always, Akiva. Akiva, how are you today? Oh, I'm great. So we have a big tier break in our power rankings. And, you know, we had Houston at 13th, but their average ranking between the two of us was 15. And there's a big jump to now we have two teams tied at 11th in our average rankings. And so those are the Philadelphia Eagles and the Arizona Cardinals. So we've decided to cover both the Philly Eagles and the Arizona Cardinals today in one big double NFC bird podcast. Wait, they're tied for 11th? They're tied for 11th, yeah. You know what my pet peeve is, Chester? When someone who doesn't follow sports, like, uh, okay, so like Johnny X is in 10th place and this guy is, you know, these two people are in 11th and then so-and-so is 12th. Like, they don't understand that place is like double. I hate that. That's like a sign of a real idiot. Yeah. You want to spot an idiot, give them like a bunch of rankings and have them, you know, like, but it usually comes up in first, like, so, you know, me and you yeah. tied for first, and then... And the uh, other guy says he's in second. He's in yeah. second. Uh, come on. Yeah. Uh, did you see a couple of, maybe it was a year or two ago now on Deadspin, there was this massive flame war on some muscle building website about days of the week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. That was highly entertaining. People are d- dumb about those stupid kind of things all the time. Or it's like, uh, you know, like people automatically assume that a month equals four weeks. And so like, you know, for example, pregnancy is nine months. Nine months is 40 weeks, not 36. You know, the year is not 48 weeks. It's 52 weeks. Um, yeah. So those little things. Annoying yeah. Women got ripped off with the nine months thing. They should really have been selling the 40 weeks. That sounds like it's the whole year, basically. Yeah. But then men, at least in the Jewish faith, have kind of the same thing because the circumcision, the bris comes on the eighth day, but it's actually the seventh day. And, but what right. is that? Like, why does that matter, though? Who cares what day it is? It stinks any day. Well, I'm just, it's same as pregnancy. I'm just saying, you know, just, <laughs> also the bris doesn't stink for the baby. They don't know. Are you difference. a, why are you a guy who watches the bris or a guy who looks away? I mean, do, do I watch the, the cutting? Are you like up there? Like, cause I like you in the splash zone. No, I could not give less of a crap. I'm, I'm there to get the free breakfast. Right. right. Actually, I'm like though, in the back, like, like scouting out. Cause like the bagels are usually in a different room. They're not, you know, yeah. not in the synagogue. So, you got well, You so, have to like have a clear path. See if there's any like side room that you could get downstairs fast because you, well, so you what you want to do is you want to like eat a full bagel and then everyone else is like comes downstairs and you're like and oh, you get time your, to yeah. eat and then you exactly. have your second one and, no, and then a, you take a, good, a third one for lunch but everyone thinks oh that's just your second bagel 
That's a good move. Um, I actually, because you did mention the splash zone, so I actually have a great story here. Uh, my family home in Minnesota, where we, where I grew up, we have a, a like a two story library, and my father's office overlooks the library. Well, I'm confused. Sec- in your house is a two story library. The room in the house has like you know thirty foot high ceilings. Like there's a ladder to oh climb God. up there. I, I would be impressed, but I assume uh, real estate in Minnesota is like a dollar per square foot or something. So not so impressed. Anyways, I'm I'm not trying to impress. I'm just trying to to illustrate the scene, uh, which which will be no relevant library. In a so and then and then Hashtag my dad two story library. If you're listening to this, yeah, go. Yeah. So and then my dad has a study which overlooks the second floor. And when then the study a spot- is separate from the library because like you'd figure the study could be in the library. Well, no, because he has his office where he does his work, and the library is a room for everyone in the house. And what right, is you're, he you're, like? You're, an ancient college professor who has a two story library. Listen, man, you're diverting from the story here. <laughs> my father actually, oddly, my father does have like a cool library uh, where it has like a ladder so he could get to the high books and stuff. Yeah. So but it's only one. Also. It's only one story. And he's a rabbi. Yeah, so, so he's like entitled to have a library. I don't know what your father does that he needs a library. He's a lawyer. Uh, the top shelves are, are they all filled. law books? Because so the top shelves are books. filled with law books, which nobody needs in this day and age because you have the Internet. But, you know, you just nice Google bindings. like when your dad has a law. I mean, I guess you're a lawyer, too. Like you just Google stuff. Well, there's Lexus, like Lexus, and there's West Law, but, yeah, but yes, let's get back to my story here. Yeah. So there's a spiral staircase that connects the library to the This study. is like the world's longest humble brag, but keep going. <laughs> I'm just trying to <laughs> illustrate the story. Here. Okay, okay, keep going. But l- I'm gonna yeah, and there aren't actual libraries in Minnesota. So yeah, and I'm going to have to edit this all out because I sound like a jackass. No, no this, of- you do not edit. I'm be very upset if you edit one word. This is the best thing we've done so far. Keep going. Well, I haven't, I haven't even got to the story, which is actually a great story. All right, but hurry so up with the have, story. We, I'm running out of time here. Yeah, we, we have the spiral staircase, which goes to the balcony, and then the balcony where my dad's study is overlooks the library. So my youngest brother's bris was on a Sunday, and we had it in our house, and because it's a Sunday. You guys have an indoor swimming pool? Well, we had an outdoor swimming pool. Oh, but it's Minnesota. What do you, you use that like three weeks a year? Yeah, but my parents actually closed up the pool because all the kids moved out of town, and I was very saddened by that. Now it's just a grass square. Well, I would say like, Mom, you can close up the pool, but I'm never coming back now. Yeah, but I hadn't visited in the summer when the pool was open in so many years anyway that, you know, the pool became You can relevant. hold things over your parents' head, just the people if they're listening. I'm, Akiva, you are distracting the story. No, because, so like, bad. I come home, like, if my parents ever gave away my childhood bedroom to one of my sisters who still live there, like, I'd be like, okay, fine, but I'm not, I'm not coming anymore. I got I thrown out of my childhood bedroom when I was 12 and sent to the basement, so. <laughs> well, I sort of did, too. I, I, because my parents had kids when I was, like, later in high school. So they sent me upstairs, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I had my own floor. It was great. Yeah, no, I agree. I was in the basement, and I liked the independence as well. Oh, yeah. But if you're a parent, the by the way, you want your kids as close to you as possible. Like, you almost want to share a room with them. Yeah, no good can come and give them their own No floor. good. No, especially boys. Like, do not give your, your sons yeah. their own room. Especially, I mean, what, I didn't have, like, a computer I, yeah, or anything Yeah, it wasn't like, like ladies that. were coming upstairs. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I didn't have that issue either. Um, but let's get back to the story. So we have the bris on a Sunday. It's in our house. A ton of people come because it's Sunday and nobody else has anything to do, I And the Chesters that's- are so popular, humble brag, number five. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but um the bris like the main like the, the the main action the cutting was taking place right in the middle of the library which meant does minnesota bell- have its own moles or you have to like go out of town for a mole so there are a number of mohels in minnesota however you wouldn't know that by the fact that the mohel who did my father and my uncle and my uncle's now 70 years old is the same mohel who did me and all of my brothers is he still moling and- or is he 
he he passed away at about the age of 100. But one of the last mohellings that he did was my brother, which I'm trying to tell you the story of. Mm, and the reason was because, and I'll get to that part of the story. So the bris is taking place right in the middle of the floor. And the balcony right above is a great spot to view the bris. You're like directly above, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a bunch of people right above, mostly kids. And then ringing the spiral staircase all the way around are a bunch of kids looking on the staircase, leaning over and watching. At the very top of the staircase was a kid by the name of Jeremy Donath. Now I have to refer to him as Rabbi Jeremy Donath because he's the rabbi of a large synagogue in Fairlawn, New Jersey. When Rabbi Donath, uh, good, be- good for him for getting out of Minnesota, by the way. <laughs> not, not that Fairlawn is some great shakes, but he got out of Minnesota. No, the story's now gone on for like 15 minutes. Right. So when, when, uh, when, when Rabbi Donath uh, to be at the time, just a uh, young Jeremy who was five years old, when he sees the cut and this mohel, as I said, was deep into his nineties and he kind of screwed up and there was a lot of blood. And at the sight of the blood, and there was a lot of blood, Jeremy Donath passes out. Oh, boy. He, fall, he falls over into the child next to him, which creates a domino rally of children falling down the spiral staircase. There ends up being a pile of like a dozen kids on the bottom of the but, staircase. But, you know, I know like little kids, like half of that was bogus, right? Like little kids just like falling over each other. I'm sure like one kid dominoed and the other kids just started like jumping and falling. Yeah, I don't know. But that's how five-year-olds is- work, I feel like. The other part of the story is my grandfather had just died a couple days before. Mm -hmm. So my brother is obviously being named after him. My mother, whose father has just died, and my cousins are like completely a a wreck as it is. So they're crying their asses off the whole time. Now there's this blood flying all over the library. There's a pile of about a dozen children on the floor. It was absolute pandemonium, this bris. How old are you Um, at this point? I was seven and a half. I was, I had a, I was, I had a great view. I was on the front, I was on the ground level. So I, I was not part of the carnage. I just witnessed the whole thing. And then I just got the hell out of there and got my first bagel. So. All right. That was a long, I mean, that was good. I liked the, 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 the journey, the destination was whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. You've, you've never seen a funnier scene in a bris. That is I amazing. Bet- is there a video of this? So, you know, we have, I would assume we have a Briss video, but I've never actually it's seen it. probably on VHS and, that, and it's never going to be seen. No one's going to see the light of the day. Now that I think about it, I should absolutely check because it's a great, it's a great memory that I have. And I'm sure that if it was caught on video, it would be very funny. I and would have, bet, I would bet that it's, you know, a lot of our childhood memories are not, not as exact, good as my memory. Yeah, it would be like yeah, two kids probably, in the pile, yeah, not 12. It probably ends up, yeah, Jeremy, like, you know, said, oh, no, a lot of blood. And then, you know, Wait, but you buried the lead, like the, 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 uh, the, the mole messed up a little bit. So is your brother OK? 20 something years later. So fortunately for my brother, we had a number of pediatric surgeons uh, who were present at the time. This is like a brag. Of, like my family only hangs <laughs> out with pediatric surgeons. Well, no, just my uncles are. So they were they um, pediatric, pediatric urologists. That's like a very specific. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just I remember my uncle Stephen was like in the bedroom in the back with, and like my mom didn't want to let the mohel in the room, and like, and, and now we're besmirching. I won't say his name because I mean he was a he was just a pillar of the community for a hundred years, and everybody loves him. But you know when you get the, the tip out here, and tip is no pun intended. Uh, to future parents is if you're hiring a mohel, make sure that he's, you know, let's say under the age of 75. Yeah, they lose their fastball, but they don't tell you they lost their fastball. And no, and this should really to- be the preview to the Broncos podcast, by the way. That mohel's name was Peyton, Peyton Manning. Manning. Oh my, really, we should have moved this to the Broncos because that's what's going to happen this year. He's going to be cutting off the tips everywhere. Well, you know what? We're about to turn to the Arizona Cardinals, and their quarterback uh, has lost his fastball as well, I think. So that's the good segue. Okay, so Akiva, on that note, let's bring in our guest to talk about the 12th-ranked Arizona Cardinals. Kyrie091, as he's known to all his internet fans. Kyrie, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me on. 
Thanks for being here. So uh, both Akiva and I both had the Cardinals at 11 in our in our preseason power rank. I want to ask you how Arizona Cardinals fans see this team going into the year because there's there's really two very dichotomous ways that you can see this team. On the one hand, you can say very simply that the team had really bad luck because Carson Palmer was their starting quarterback. They went six and zero under Carson Palmer. And then he got injured, and then his backup got injured, and they were basically left with nothing at quarterback, and they still managed to scratch out to uh, you know an 11 and five record, which is pretty impressive. And so now, if you have a healthy quarterback, they might be able to you know t- take that 6-0 record and go running from there. On the other hand, the argument is, and I think like Bill Barnwell and others have made this, is that that 11 and five team, while they had bad luck in terms of injuries to the quarterback, they had incredibly good luck in every other way. And they weren't really an 11 and five team. They had the Pythagorean of a, of a 500 team. They went five and one in one score games. Uh, they were actually the luckiest team in the league. Uh, their scoring differential was basically even. The 24th ranked offense, the 24th ranked defense. So all of that would indicate that that healthy quarterback or no, this is a team that's that, that should be expected to, you know, deal with a lot of regression this year. So obviously Cardinals fans hope for the for the former and not the latter. But sort of realistically, how do you and how do Cardinals fans see going into the season? Well, obviously we're we're significantly more optimistic than the than the than the the, the second half of the stats that you painted there. I mean, I I I I guess I had never really looked at it so in depth statistically like that, but um. Uh, I I, th- I think we all feel really solidly optimistic, and not just about 2015, but you know, I mean, we have uh, the guy who uh, got coach of the year two of the last three years as our head coach, and we have the um, uh, executive uh, of the year, the in Steve Kime, our general manager. So uh, we 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 have a really solid core group of people. Plus the the Cardinals team president Michael Bidwill has made a commitment to like spend money and 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 build a real team, which is a real shift in in culture. For us, so um, as far as 2015 goes, obviously we're very optimistic, but it doesn't stop there, though. I, I think that we have the makings of something that's going to be pretty darn cool for years to come. So you know, that's it's a good it's a good point you've made. The front office has been really impressive. Bruce Arians, of course, has been a very good coach uh, both in Indian and now for the Cardinals. I guess my question would be. Looking at the here and now, you only go as far in the NFL as your starting quarterback, and you guys mm. know that better than anyone. Again, having gone six and zero under Palmer, and then five and five the rest of the way, uh, with, with, you know, once he went down, and he's 36 years old this year. And last year, he played six games, he tore his ACL. Even as, you know, who knows whether he comes back at 100 percent. But those six games were, you know, quite surprising given his previous track record. He had a career best QBR, uh, career best, uh, you know. The, uh, touchdown interception ratio his lowest uh, interception percentage of all time he really you know he had been the cardinals quarterback the year before and i think he had 24 touchdowns and 22 picks and you know he was sort of a mediocre quarterback and so i guess the question is you know before we think down the line where's this team going to be two three years from now this year even if palmer can stay healthy can we really expect the palmer that that was fantastic for six games you know that certainly isn't what he was the previous year in arizona and that definitely isn't what he was in oakland I, I believe so because Palmer himself, I mean, I, okay, every player is always going to say that they're at the best they've ever been. No player is ever going to say, yeah, I'm all right now, but I really feel like I was so much better three or four years ago. So I, I, I guess you have to take it with a grain of salt when you hear Palmer say something like, I feel like I'm playing the best football I've ever played or, uh, when he says that it really takes a, a year or two in a system before you become fully comfortable with it. So, uh, presently, Palmer says that, that he is the best he's ever been and that he's 100% comfortable with the system, and this is the first time 
since uh, since his time in Cincinnati that he's really felt totally confident and comfortable with the offensive system that he's working out of. So I feel like I feel like uh, his his performance last year wasn't just a one off. I feel like he has all the tools that he needs, and through the uh, you know the, the team building that they've done with all these amazing cool little one year deals that Steve Kime likes to throw together, that they put together a team that in 2015 I think is going to be be pretty darn productive. Yeah, so you, you talk about uh, how the future is in really good hands, and I understand certainly uh, the idea of between the coach and the general the manager, you know, that basically everything they've touched has turned to gold so far. But when I look up and down the roster, I see a really, really old team outside of the secondary. And, like, so for 2015, yes, you know, if Palmer continues what he was doing, uh, great. But, you know, uh, Larry Fitzgerald isn't getting any younger. Uh, so what would you really – who would you really consider as, like, the core of this team going forward past 2015? Um, offensively, man, you got you got to look at uh, Smokey John Brown, man. Like, I'm, I just watched – people will know that name. In Arizona, we all know who Smokey Brown is. Uh, I'm guessing that nickname probably hasn't caught on nationally yet, but I'd be willing to bet that in the next uh, – this coming season and going forward, everybody's going to know all about Smokey Brown. Um, and uh, and um, J.J. Nelson – just had a great uh, game on Saturday. Well, he had a great one reception, I should say. Uh, but uh, he, the, the the way that uh, those two can take the top off the defense, and they're both very young, so I anticipate they're going to be around for a while to come. Uh, the issue at quarterback, obviously, is a huge glaring issue because, like you said, Palmer Palmer's uh, you know on the back nine, so uh, there, there, there's not a lot of football left in front of Carson Palmer, and I get that. I never thought he'd be the long-term solution. Uh, as to where we go at quarterback from there, I don't believe that guy is currently on our roster. I don't think that our uh, the quarterback of the future after Palmer's done. I don't think that guy currently plays for the Cardinals. Some people it's are going to tell standard. you, no. <laughs> some some people are going to say that uh, that Philip Sims looked great on Saturday, and he did. He had a great uh, he had a, a great great outing against uh, you know third teamers and practice squad guys for the San Diego Chargers. So I guess some people would take that and say Philip Sims looks like he might be the guy of the future. But uh, I, I I don't I don't believe that's the case. I think that the quarterback that takes the reins from Carson Palmer for this offense is going to be somebody who's not currently on our roster. Uh, so that's kind of what I see as our outlook offensively. And yes, Fitz is not getting any younger, but they've changed the way they use Fitz. Fitz is no longer a, a stretch the field, you know, run run down the field and, and make those crazy circus catches for you know 50 yards anymore. Uh, they, they they play him in the slot a lot. In fact, it looked like he lined up a. Uh, in like a tight end position on Saturday for one down. I don't know if he was technically lined up as a tight end, but he was right there on the end of the offensive line and uh, and went out and did some blocking like right there on the line. So, so they've changed the way they use Fitz. He's still productive, but it's a, a different a different approach for him for sure. So I, I don't think he'll be a huge you know part of our our future at uh, making those crazy catches that he used to make you know six or seven years ago. And uh, you know it seems like it's been forever since you guys. And correct me if I'm wrong. I've had a very good running back. What do you What do you think the running back situation looks like this year? Well, um, Andre Ellington had that great season when he was behind Richard Mendenhall. When they brought Mendenhall in, and Andre Ellington looked amazing that season, and he actually outplayed Mendenhall, even though Mendenhall was supposed to be starting. Uh, but then after that, Ellington didn't get a lot of action last year. Um, uh, and I, I I don't feel like he's an every down back anyway. I feel like Andre Ellington's one of those. You know what? One of those slippery running backs, one of the ones that kind of like slip through the line, and then once they're going, it's off to the races, that kind of thing. But he, I don't think he's the bowling ball type that can just plow his way through. Um, so as far as our our situation at running back, 
I was really impressed with David Johnson on Saturday. I mean, I was thoroughly impressed with what that guy could do. I did notice a little bit of hesitation with attacking the the holes, though. I think that he still has a little bit of that college mentality because he is, you know, he's a rookie. I think he's uh, forgetting that NFL uh, defensive players aren't going to leave those holes open for very long. So when you see him, you got to attack him. You can't, you can't think. You just got to go for it. Yeah, people were were talking a lot about David Johnson this summer. But then the Cardinals went ahead and signed Chris Johnson, uh, you know, <laughs> CJ400. And when your team brings Chris Johnson in the, in the middle of the camp, that's not a good sign in terms of your confidence in your running game. No, it's not. I'll tell you that. That was the first thing that I thought. And I, I, uh, I mentioned it on the, uh, the, um, one of our uh, podcasts that we did over on my channel that I felt like bringing in Chris Johnson. Well, you know, obviously you bring in a name like Chris Johnson. That's always cool for the fans because, uh, you know, he's a, he's a, uh, star running back you know he's made a big name for himself but every time he's he has the ball he's taking a carry away from someone else uh is the way i look at it and every time chris johnson runs the ball that's the time that david johnson or andre ellington or someone else did not run the ball so when you bring in a chris johnson you're right it definitely shows a lack of confidence in the running game they, they didn't uh they didn't bring him in for no reason at all and i feel like um the final running back roster assuming cj gets a you know, back healthy and back into it. I think it's going to be him, Ellington, and uh, David Johnson as like the three main guys. They might keep one of the other guys on, um, you know, for uh, you know kick returns and punt returns and stuff. But as far as actually running the ball when uh, when it's time to, to to do some real running, I think it's going to be between those three. It's kind of crazy historically uh, how how weak the running back position has been for this franchise. Even going back oh. to you know when they were called the Phoenix Cardinals, and even back in in Chicago and St. Louis and even before that in Chicago actually uh, I was joking with a friend of mine a couple of years ago about how you can never trust a Arizona Cardinals running back in fantasy football and then I went back and I actually because these are the kinds of things I do I I made a chart of every single running back in NFL history to average 10 points a game in fantasy and obviously nobody was playing fantasy football in in 1940 or 1960 sure. or 1980 but just hypothetically and I think the Cardinals had a total of 6 guys ever who have averaged 12 points a game and then like nine guys ever who have averaged 10 points a game far and away less than any other franchise and now obviously in today's NFL you don't need one one workhorse back and if Andre Ellington can be the lightning to David Johnson's thunder and and Chris Johnson can mostly sit on the bench you know maybe they can get it done but it is kind of incredible for a franchise that has been around for so long that they've never had a stud running back I resent that remark sir have you never heard of Arizona Cardinals Hall of Fame running back Emmett Smith Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think Emmett Smith. He wasn't just cashing checks. He did have a thousand yards, one or maybe even two seasons in Arizona. I think. Yeah. Right? No. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, em- Emmett Smith remained productive to the very end. He did, he didn't Brett Favre out or anything like that. He said he 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 kept the gas on full throttle till the yeah, but he till the bitter he, he end. He certainly wasn't the Emmett Smith that we knew in Dallas. No, um, no, no, yeah. no. I I I I I always kid about that. Plus, I know it gets under Cowboys fans' skin when I do that. So you know, I always got to throw it out there back, when I can. Back when Emmett Smith was playing in Arizona, now now I think that you know their fans have been a little bit better the last few years, especially between uh, you know the Super Bowl run under Kurt Warner and, and now the revitalized franchise again. But I remember, forget about when the Cowboys played there, which was always a home game for the Cowboys, especially when they played you know, <laughs> every year when they were in the same division. Even the Vikings, I'm a Vikings fan, and I remember 
you know, that when the Vikings go to, to Arizona, 60% of the crowd is cheering for them. I mean, Tavares Jackson beat Kurt Warner in that, in that Super Bowl year for the Cardinals, and it felt like a home game. Um, you know, are, are the crowds a lot better now with, with sort of the revitalized Abs- franchise? Absolutely, man. I, w- um, I, I, I was actually just at the, the preseason game on Saturday. And uh, I, I can tell you that uh, they're, they're, they were very – I mean, I, we were playing the Chargers, so I guess, you know, with all due respect to the Chargers, there aren't too many Charger fans here in Arizona. But um, it, it's, it's changed. It's changed ever since that, uh, that Super Bowl appearance, and especially with the emergence of Bruce Arians here in Arizona. The culture has changed. I've lived my whole life just about in Arizona, except for a couple years I actually lived up there in Minnesota. But uh, for the rest of my life, I've lived here in Arizona, and I can tell you there were no – Cardinals fans here in the 1990s. There just there were not. Everybody was either a Cowboys fan, uh, Niners, or the occasional Broncos. Uh, but uh, there were no Cardinals fans because there was nothing to cheer for. Um, and then when they went to the Super Bowl, a lot of us kind of figured it was just a one-off, a fluke. They had no business being there. Um, and then they followed it up with another playoff appearance. And when they went 10 and six, and uh, that incredible game against Green Bay, where it was like the final score was 51 to 45 in overtime, went crazy for a playoff game. Um, and, uh, then, uh, since then they had a, a couple of, uh, three pretty rough seasons under Ken Wisenhunt. But then once BA got here, uh, I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is over the last few years, yes, there has been this in, in, amazing emergence of Cardinals fans. Um, I have spent most of my working life in a job where you work with the general public. And I can tell you, man, on Sundays, on game day, the jerseys come out, the hats and t-shirts and stuff, man, every, Everybody's got Cardinals gear on on Sundays during football season in uh, you know in the the Phoenix metro area. All right, so now let's turn to uh, Akiva's favorite part of the podcast. Akiva calls it the the roster game, and and what he's going to do is he's going to ask you to pick a number between one and a hundred, and it's not a jersey number; it's just a uh, random order that he has. And he's you're going to pick a number, and he's going to mention a name of one of the 90 guys on their roster at camp right now. And just give us a sentence or two about them. This is mostly Akiva's way to embarrass the guests because he keeps the people keep picking numbers that end up being like the backup long snapper. <laughs> oh, but, no. Uh, but pick a number between 1 and 100, and let's see if we can get some better luck for you. Let's go with, uh, let's go with, with, with 50, 51. Okay, 51. Tell me everything you know about Andre Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> there, there. Hey, right. I don't know anything about Andre Kirk. Uh, He's a rookie. I, I, was he drafted? I, I, you know, I if believe, he was drafted yeah, I believe, I believe he was an undrafted free agent. Uh, I want. I want to say he's a linebacker. Yep, he he's linebacker? a linebacker. Oh, I got that right. Oh, well, uh, that, that's that, that's the extent of what I can tell you about Andre Kirk. Okay, he went to uh, Florida Atlantic University. He was an owl. FAU. Yeah, the FAU. Owls. Okay. Uh, and just because we did this so with the previous guest, uh. How many Twitter followers do you think potential Arizona Cardinals uh, player Andre Kirk has right now? But, uh, I, I wasn't aware that he had a Twitter account. Um, uh, he's got a 264 Twitter followers. 264. Well, you Jump know what? Jump on the bandwagon now. If he makes the team, forget about it. To be in his first 300, that'd be pretty epic, right? Yeah, you'll tell people you knew him when. <laughs> uh, do, I, do I get to pick another number? This is fun. Yeah, yeah let's do a few more. I got. I gotta go. I gotta go with a uh, good old zero ninety one, right? Okay, that would be uh, the punter, Dave Zastadel. Nasty, zasty. Okay, see there you go. That that's something I could tell you a little bit about. Um, there there's been this uh, competition between him and Drew Butler lately to see who's going to take over as punter. And I really like watching Dave Zastadel punt, man. Like he 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 has some precision with the way that he kicks the ball. I don't know where he went to school or anything like that, but I do know that he's one hell of a punter. And I hope that he ends up 
winning that punter battle between him and Drew Butler this year. Is this our first punter conversation, Chester, of this of all these thirty two uh Yeah, we gotta teams? spend a lot more time talking special teams, I guess. Yeah, we well, do. No, but uh, he you, went but to. You picked, uh, but you, you picked a great one to start with, though. Nasty, zasty, man. That's the dude. He went to uh, Ohio University with uh, Peter King. Okay. Hopefully not at the same time. Not at the same time. He's not that old. He's old. He's thirty-six. <laughs> he's a punter. Those dudes can play until they're like forty-eight. Yeah, he is the uh, oldest guy. No, he's not the oldest guy on the team. Do you know who the oldest guy on the team is? By the way, trivia question. Mike Leach. Yes. Very good. Very good. Who's Leach? Long snapper. See, this guy knows his stuff. Oh. The long snap. Oh, you gotta be careful. We, yeah. we do a lot of long snappers talk here. Yeah, the Vikings long snapper <laughs> got cut right after uh, I said that you didn't need to know who his backup was. So. Right, right. Um, okay, Uh-oh. so uh, uh, give me another number. In, in honor of Larry Fitzgerald, I'm going with 11. Tell me anything you know about Gannon Sinclair. I actually know that he's a tight end because uh, uh, a day or two ago I was looking at the roster and I noticed his name on the tight end list. It's a good I, name. I, Gannon's a good first name if you're having any oh, children. Oh, absolutely, man. And, and and uh, Gannon Sinclair just sounds pretty damn regal. I mean, how that that looked great on the back of a jersey. Was uh, he I, uh, he's a, he's uh, undrafted uh, undrafted free agent rookie tight end uh, that is most likely not going to make the team. Yeah, I'm mm. looking at the depth chart. I don't see him on it. <laughs> yeah, Gannon, <laughs> keep working, Gannon. You'll get there. <laughs> you, uh, I see you him know he's sixth listening. on the depth chart. I uh, I have him on. I'm yeah, not going to check any Twitter followers he has. Tight, tight ends that we're going to have. I'd, I'd be willing to bet it's going to be Gresham. Fells and uh, Troy Nicholas. Although that Ifani Yai Moma, can't say his name right. He, he, yeah. he, he had a couple of cool moments, I guess. But yeah, anyway, he's number one on the depth chart on their official team website actually right now. Uh, Moma is. Yeah. I guess I'm not terribly surprised about that, but we did bring in Jermaine Gresham, so, uh, you know, for a reason. You know All what right. I mean? You, well, you don't, don't sign Jermaine Gresham. Why don't for... we use that the, the tight end talk as a segue? I, I know, and I mentioned fantasy football before. Last year, or maybe it was the year before, I noticed that when you look at fantasy defense, the Cardinals were like six points per game worse than every other team in the NFL against the tight end. Mm-hmm. And it was so bad that I picked up the random guy playing against them like two or three weeks in a row. It was Jared Cook one year, one game for the Rams, and it worked. Three games in a row, I got like 80 yards okay. and a touchdown. So you, you've had a hole at inside linebacker, and now you have Jimmy Graham in the division. So you're going to play him at least twice a year. You know, uh, what are the Cardinals doing to shore up the middle of that defense so they can improve against the You know, that, well, uh, that, that is, that is, that is the million dollar question right there, man. I'll tell you what, uh, the, the, the tight ends have just lit us up and we've shared a division with Vernon Davis for so long, man. And every time we got to play that dude, it doesn't matter who's throwing the ball to him. He'll, he'll burn us over and over again, down after down. So I really don't know. I mean, I know we got Kevin Minter, but we've had Kevin Minter. That's not exactly new. Daryl Washington's been suspended. Uh, if he can get back on the field, that would probably help. We did pick up Sean Weatherspoon. Um, I believe he plays inside linebacker. I'm, I don't. I am not actually 100% sure. I hope he does. Otherwise, I'll feel really silly right now. No, he we does. did pick up. Okay, we did pick up Sean Weatherspoon. So I, I feel like uh, that addition, and if we could get Dwash back on the field, if he can get his own personal affairs uh, straightened out, I, I think I think that we would have a. a, a a chance at shutting down the middle of the field right there with uh, with our linebacker cores. And then, you know, you look at the secondary, I think they benefited a lot last year because Calais Campbell in the defensive line was so good that they didn't really have to cover guys for too long, but they lost Cromartie, and it seems like there's a lot of depth lacking oh at cornerback. Oh, boy. Yeah, that one. That, that, that was a tough one to, to see him go because, uh, we, we, that's the trouble with these one year prove it deals, man. I mean, they're great because it, it gives you a chance to get somebody and, uh, it seems like players always play better in the last year of their contract. You know what I mean? So, uh, 
the fact that we sign people to one-year deals, we really get the best out of them during that year because it's a contract year. Yeah, but, but when the guy has 10 five-year-olds, he needs more than a one-year contract. <laughs> consequently, he had, well, <laughs> they end up, oh God, they end up, they end up leaving though. They, they come here and they prove it and they light it up like Cromartie did last year, looking amazing like he does, and then, then he leaves. And the same thing happened a couple seasons ago with Carlos Dansby. Dansby left and went to Miami. We brought him back on a one-year prove-it deal, and he lit it up, and he was amazing, and he had an impact on every single down. It seemed like you always heard his number getting called out. And then he goes and, 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 and leaves. Uh, I believe he went to Cleveland. Maybe it was Cincinnati. I don't know. The point, he, the point is he, he went to Ohio is where he went. Uh, and he, and, and he, and he, he, he left the Cardinals after one season. So as far as our depth at cornerback, I actually really share your concern. I mean, obviously we got the one side locked down with uh, Patrick Peterson, but the other side of the field, it's a, it's a little bit wide open. Um, Justin Bethel has historically done some pretty cool stuff, but nothing to make me convinced that he's the long-term guy. Gerard Powers, pretty solid, but honestly, man, I I really I really don't know who's going to be on the other side of the field in the secondary. Uh, you know, across from Peterson. Yeah, it's just such an interesting defense because they were 24th in the league in yards allowed, 5th in points allowed. And, you know, that's one of the things that guys like Bill Barnwell point to as evidence of regression. I know Akiva is a much bigger believer in points than yards. And that also reflects the fact that, you know, their turnover differential is one of the best in the league, for example. Um, but it, it really, you know, I really think that shows the, the range of, of how, how good or bad this defense could be. And, you know, but Bruce Arians has, um, you know, he, he's been a good coach. Uh, defensively as well. The year before, I think they were sixth in the league in yards and seventh in points, so it, was, it correlated much more closely. So it probably will still be a good defense, but yeah, you have a couple of holes there. I think Akiva wants to jump to the schedule now, which is, uh, if the, if the roster game isn't America's favorite segment, the schedule definitely is. This is a schedule that, that starts, uh, pretty easily. I think that, you know, that first month, the Cardinals have a really easy schedule, but, but it definitely gets tougher from there. And you're in a division that San Francisco has, you know, fallen into a crater, but you still have to deal with Seattle and the Rams are, you know, depending on their quarterback situation, they might be resurgent as well. So let's take a look at the schedule. Week one, you start at home against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, yeah, I saw that one. I, I, I got, if, if you're asking me to, to put a pick on it right now, I'd, I'd, I'd lock that one in as a W, uh, if I'm, if I'm picking it right now. Alright, and then week two, you go at Chicago, which is, you know, probably easier than it's been in a long time. I, I, I definitely put that one as a W too. And then you come home, and again, the schedule really easy. You have the Niners in their state of disarray at the moment. Uh, you, uh, I, I'd put that one as a W, but I want to throw this in real quick. I don't think they're going to be as bad as I thought they were going to be a week ago. Uh, uh, I, I, but change uh, your that, mind. that's, uh, the, 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 this last preseason game, I don't, I honestly, I, I feel like Jim Tom Sula is probably going to give the ball to Gabbard at some point in the season. I don't know that. Oh, and <laughs> 16. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> you think they're going to be better because Blake Gabbard's involved? I mean, <laughs> I think, I think that, I think that Colin Kaepernick was, was a product of a, of a well-designed system. I don't, I, but keep in mind, this is coming from a Cardinals fan who has nothing but like contempt for the Niners. So obviously I'm never going to be like, Oh, I think that Jim Harbaugh uh, did a fine job by selecting Colin Kaepernick. Of course, I'm going to say I think he did poorly. So if I was being totally honest, I I I, I don't know. I don't like Colin Kaepernick. Is I guess what I'm saying. <laughs> All right. Well, that's fair. <laughs> so now you're three and zero, and another home division game. This one against the Rams. 
I think I think we got that one too. I think I, th- I think that one's going to be a challenge, but I think we, I think we win that one. Crazy Cardinals Homer coming up about about right to uh, tell you about all these games we're going to win. So. Yeah, well, they started six and zero last year, so you know four and zero, and again, that's the easy part of their schedule. So if they want to compete for the playoffs, I think they got to bank some wins early. Uh, it yeah. definitely gets tougher after that. It starts to go to Detroit to play the Lions. I think I think we can win that one. Wow. So yeah, well, I know, right? It's not an issue of can you. It's 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 are you going to win it? Yes. Okay, five and zero. And so now they're definitely, you know, the, the you know possibly the cover of Sports Illustrated. People are saying, you know, if they can only keep Palmer upright, uh, and then you go yeah. at Pittsburgh. We lose, we lose that one. Okay. I feel I feel like I feel like Pittsburgh uh, has come a really long way, especially offensively. I, I, I feel like we, we probably lose that. If it was in Arizona, maybe, but since we're going to Pittsburgh, I I feel like we probably lose that one. All right, so you come home, you're five and one. You have a Monday Night Football against Joe Flacco and the Ravens. We win that one. Wow. We torch them on Monday night. We win. I'm, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna call the final, call the final score for you. Uh, uh, 51 to 6. Wow. <laughs> no, 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 not that good. But the I, I do think of win. Joe Flacco's career taking place yeah. in, uh, yeah, in a uh, University of Phoenix Stadium. Alright, and then, last game before the bye, in third in a row against the AFC for some reason, at Cleveland. Yeah, that's that's three against the AFC North in a row. Uh, I think, I think we, I, I hope to God we, we don't lose the Cleveland Browns. Um, I, I mean, we might, I guess, but I, I believe, I believe we win, uh, we win that one. Wow, so seven and one going into the bye, and that mm. means that coming out of the bye, you're definitely gonna have a huge game on Sunday Night Football. Uh, <laughs> who are we playing? You're in Seattle. Um, oh no! <laughs> well, we listen, this, this is, uh, this is what happens when you're good. You have big games. I, uh, we, lo- we, lo- we, we lose, we lose Sunday night against Seattle. I, I hate to say it, but I, I, I don't, I don't think we can go into Seattle. Prime time and beat the Seahawks in Seattle. Unless, unless they're like beaten down by injuries by this point in the season, I don't see how we go in there and beat them. It breaks my heart to say it, but that's just what I feel. So that'll be seven and two, and then it's uh, for the fourth time in five games you play an AFC North team. You host the Bengals. Win. Oh boy, you are you uh, down on the Bengals? I have nothing but tr- tremendous respect for the Cincinnati Bengals. They signed John Skelton for a couple of weeks after the Cardinals cut him, and I like <laughs> John Skelton, so that was nice of them. Who doesn't like John Skelton? All right, so then. Um, you you uh, your next two games are the other divisional opponents on the road at San Fran and then at St Louis. I think we uh, I, uh, San Francisco. I feel like that game's iffy. I'll, I'll give that one to the Niners. And then at St Louis, I think we win that one. All right, so what is that? Nine and three. Last four games of the year, you host Minnesota uh, yeah. on a thir- you know short week Thursday night football game. Mm-hmm. Chester's beloved Vikings. That's a win. Yeah. Well, and I, you, I, I just got to point out that the Cardinals are, what is it, 2-11 and 11 against the Vikings in the last 20 years. Uh, and one of those two, <laughs> of course, is the Nate Poole game. Do you remember that one, Kyrie? No, tell me about it. Oh, the Nate Poole game. I mean, you know, the Vikings have had so many kicks in the balls uh, in the last couple of decades that, that this one's almost forgotten, you know, but between the Gary Anderson game and the 12-man on the field. Right, I was going to say Gary Anderson. I but know in, all about in, that in one. In 2003, the Vikings were the first team in the history of the NFL to lead their division literally every single second of the season and not make the playoffs. And the way that that happened is that they led the division, as I said, every second of the season, and with no time remaining, in Week 17 at Arizona on fourth down and 26. There was a touchdown to the quarter of the end zone to Nate Poole to allow them to beat the Vikings 18-17, to which vaulted the Packers into a tie with the Vikings because the Packers won that day. On the tiebreaker, the Packers advanced. The next day, the city of Green Bay gave the key to the city to Nate Poole. And, oh, my um, God. Yeah, Who I mean, threw the pass to Poole? It was Josh McCown, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, boy, the great Josh. Oh, boy. 
Yeah. Um, hey, so. but hey, no, but hey, no, hey, but you got you guys got us back for that when you sent us Denny Green. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Cardinals were who we thought they were that year because I think they went four and twelve. But they for for most franchises that would be you know just like the all time biggest collapse. Unfortunately for the Vikings, it barely scratches into the top ten. But yeah, but other than that, the Vikings have have really destroyed the Cardinals. And the, you know, so I'm very confident about that game. But apparently, so are you. And look, on short rest, it's um it's tough to win on three days. Rest and and you know, road. honestly, man, St. Louis has had a habit of squishing. In our quarterbacks lately, so we're we're playing St. Louis uh, yeah, four days before we play they Minnesota. Out both of them last year, didn't they? Yeah, boy, yeah. They they took out Palmer and then they took out Stanton. And we had to limp into the playoffs with Ryan Lindley, who didn't even play for us at the beginning of the season. We cut him. We had to bring him back in because we had no one else to start the game against the Panthers. Yeah, so hopefully uh, the Vikings, you know, the Rams will knock out Palmer and Stanton, and, and then who's who's, there, who's <laughs> their third stringer this year? Well, it's between Logan Thomas and Philip Sims. No relation. Uh, yeah, I've never even heard of Philip Sims. So. Yeah, no, I know. When I when I heard we signed Philip Sims, I was like, wait a second, what? Phil Sims? It's the black sheep of the. He only uses one M in his name. So you guys are ten and threes, and then you go to Philly. What do you think? Oh God, I feel I feel like Philly's going to be such a mess. I feel like I feel like it's I feel like they're I feel like there's like 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 personnel and like drama issues just just brewing in Philadelphia that's about to erupt. I I'll, I'll I'm I'm going to give that one to Arizona. Uh, ju- if, un- un- unless I'm mistaken, and Chip Kelly gets that locker room like whipped into shape, uh, but I mean, th- there's all this stuff coming out of there, but with dissension, breeding, and stuff. It reminds me of what the Seahawks locker room looked like early on last year, um, when when Percy Harvin was still there. You remember that? Like, no, yep. no, nobody was getting along. The Seahawks weren't doing all that great, and then they ship Harvin out. So, who and should they, they trade though? Is it isn't Kelly the problem? Should they do they trade the? Yeah, coach? yeah, yeah, Kelly. Kelly, Kelly is the problem, in my opinion. I, I think I think Chip Kelly. Uh, I, I think Chip Kelly's one of those guys like uh, Dennis Erickson or Nick Saban. You know, they, they had tremendous success in college and uh, and just couldn't translate it to the NFL. I, but uh, it remains to be seen. Jury's still out on Chip Kelly. I could be gravely mistaken on that. So and I'll uh, play this back in a couple seasons after Chip Kelly wins the Super Bowl, and I'll look stupid. All right. And then at eleven and three, you guys uh, host maybe the two best teams. Uh, in the league, certainly the two best teams in the NFC in your final two games. You host Green Bay. No Jordy Nelson. Right. And uh, and then Seattle. So what do you think about the Packer game? They're going to be 11-3. and three. What's the Packer record going to be going to that game? I don't I don't think we get past Green Bay un- unless something's gone horribly wrong. I think I think Green Bay comes into Arizona and beats us that week. Mm-hmm. So that would be 11-4. and four. And then is this final game hosting Seattle, the last game of the year, do you think that's... We crush them. We destroy them, man. <laughs> is that for the division? Do you win the division yes. by beating them? Yeah, that I man, yes it is and don't you love how they're putting all those divisional games at the uh, week 17 lately? Man, that's great. I love it. Yeah, well they they do it on purpose for that reason. But uh um, Yeah, I mean it's yeah, good yeah, when it's no, Cardinals it's just... Seahawks, it's not as great when it's Bills Dolphins. <laughs> yeah, well I I suppose so. I mean, the Bills did just sign that uh that uh, IKN and Polly guy. You guys so. faced Seattle late in the year at home last year and lost by 30. Yeah, I remember that. Um, <laughs> but they didn't but have there, a there was, there, there, there was there was the year before that when Carson Palmer threw four picks and we still beat the Seahawks. Mm. Yep, that's I remember that. Yep, <laughs> that was that, that was at Seattle, right? It was. Yeah, yeah. we went and uh, Seattle hadn't lost hadn't lost at home um, yeah. in a very long time, and yeah. uh, we we went in there and Carson threw four picks and we still managed to scrape out a W. I don't know how that happened, but I'll take it. So at twelve and four, like realistically. Are you guys a Super Bowl contender? Can you guys win the Super Bowl this season? 
keep in mind, you're, you're asking a crazy, rabid Cardinals fan, so of course I'm going to say yes. If, if if I'm being totally realistic, I'll admit that it's going to be a long and treacherous road and that it's not going to be gift-wrapped and handed to us like it might be for a, another another team that's got more of a dynastic feel. But I honestly feel like, yes, yeah, the, Car- the Cardinals have everything they need to be a legit Super Bowl contender this year. I, I've never felt that way about them, not even last year. Uh, when they went 10 and 6 the season before and then, and they had a pretty good, you know, camp going into last year. I didn't feel like, like this confident about them. I've never, uh, other than the year after they went to the Super Bowl and they still had Kurt Warner for another season, I kind of felt pretty good that year, but I feel even better this year because we actually have a defense. Back then we did. Wow. So there you have it. 12 and 4. And are you winning the division at 12 and 4 or do you think Seattle still gets that? They probably have the tiebreaker over you because I think you have, you also have, Losing to San Francisco, and you got to assume Seattle probably is going to sweep San Francisco. Probably sweep San, San Francisco. And look, that's... I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if it wins the division. It, it, I mean, it definitely gets us a wild card spot if it doesn't. So we still get a ticket to the dance either way. Yeah, it's problem... just a matter of do, do we get that first round by or not. Yeah, and I ranted about this on the Dolphins podcast. You know, I think it's silly in the NFL that that the team that goes twelve and four but doesn't win the division has to go in in the first round on the road to play a team that went 8-8 eight and eight and 9-7 and, and won a crappy division. It could very well be a rematch of last year. If you guys are the number one wild card at 12-4, and four, you're going on the road to face the NFC South winner. And, you know, as we said, in every single year where there's been a game like that with an 11-5 and five or 12-4 and four team going on the road to a team that was 500 or worse, the home team, 500 or worse, ended up winning. There was the Marshawn Lynch crazy game against the Saints that they won. There was the Tim Tebow overtime game against the Steelers that they won. And then, of course, there was uh, you guys last year. It's just so silly to me that a team wins their division. Fine, you want to put them in the playoffs, that's fine. But why you give them a home game against a team that's three or four games better, I just think it's so stupid. But I No, I, I agree. I've, I, I've maintained ever since the Seattle, ever since Seattle went to the playoffs with a 7-9 and nine record, yeah. I've always kind of felt like it's unreasonable to give a team that can't even pull a 500 to give them a home playoff game. Yep. I don't know. And when you guys are in the division with Seattle, that's so tough because, again, you know, even if you do really well, you're probably looking at, at that 5 seed, which means you got to go on the road for the whole playoffs. Uh, unless, unless Seattle has an epic collapse, uh, fingers true. crossed, and, and, uh, and, and, and ends up going 8-8 eight and eight or something crazy like that. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I know it's not going to, but a guy can dream. All right, so we're not we're not going to you know predict all of the playoffs just yet. We have to see if you guys can get there first. But uh, but Kyrie, thanks for joining us today. Kyrie uh, can be found on uh, on YouTube and on Twitter at Kyrie zero ninety one. Twitter and YouTube, Kyrie zero ninety one. Look me up. We'll have some fun. All right, K A I R I zero nine one. Thanks a lot for joining us, and good luck to the Cardinals this year, except for the Vikings game, of course. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so on that note, Akiva, let's bring in our guest to talk about the eleventh ranked Philadelphia Eagles. Shamir Seidman. Shamir, how are you doing today? Amazing. 11th ranked. I love it. Let's see what we got. Yeah, so 11th ranked, but we had a bigger split on the Eagles than any other team. I had them at number 7, and Akiva had them down at 15. And i got to be honest, the more research I did, the more I started to think that maybe Akiva was, was more correct about this than I was. Maybe. And, and just in my defense, the reason I had 7 is is I think that the top there's the top 5 teams – and then there's a huge tier break. I mean, there's five really good teams, and then everybody from 6 to 20 I could see as interchangeable, sort of. But, um, you know, here's basically what, what the Eagles did in the offseason. Chip Kelly went crazy. And the question is, is he a mad genius, or is he just mad? Uh, first of all, the Titans were reportedly interested in Nick Foles, and everybody assumed that, that Kelly wanted Marcus Mariota. But then he traded Foles and two draft picks away, so basically ensuring he wouldn't get Mariota. Um, he traded him for one of the most injury-prone quarterbacks in the league, he brought in a bunch of other injury-prone guys, DeMarco Murray, know. Ryan Matthews. 
I don't know if the trade for Mariota would have necessarily been only falls. There's probably a huge boatload of picks involved in yeah, that. Yeah, okay, well, okay, so that's true. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but, you know, he, but he brought in Bradford, who's injury-prone, and DeMarco Murray, Ryan Matthews, who are injury-prone, Miles Austin's decaying carcass. I don't, know, I don't know if he's even relevant. Then he cut Evan Mathis for seemingly no reason at all, and I think Akiva will tell us that Mathis is, like, the number 76 overall player in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. Is that I right? Think he, I think even, like, 68 or something, like, even higher. So, yeah. He signed with the Broncos. So, you know, tell us, is Chip Kelly a mad genius, or is he just mad? Chip Kelly is a mad genius, especially when it comes to offense. Um, he has a system. He has his players that he wants to plug into a system. And if you don't fit the system, you move on. I think, you know, he's come into the league and each year he's been in the league, he's, you know, put incredible offenses on the field. You know, the first year there were, there were a lot of question marks about taking over Andy Reid's roster. He just showed up and put an explosive offense together. Next season, same thing. And then, you know, keeps building and building. And I think he's, you know, he's has a track record now, you know, putting offenses that can score points on the field. His, you know, his questions have always been defense, never offense. And he's got explosive, explosive offenses that now are more, you know, hand-picked with his players. I can't, you know, you can't take the injury-prone label of Sam Bradford and, you know, say that Chip Kelly can't work with him because Chip Kelly wanted him. He hand-picked him. And he's proven that the players he picks t- typically – are explosive in his offense. Yeah, so let's get into those players. Uh, right at the top, and let me ask you this, because I think when before the Bradford-Foles trade happened, I think that the general consensus of most fans was that Nick Foles was a more valuable commodity in the NFL than Sam Bradford. I'll point out that, that even in Foles' bad season last year before he got injured, his numbers were better than Bradford's numbers in his best season ever, which was uh, the first seven games of 2013 before he got injured. Um, and so when, pe- when people heard that there were draft picks involved in the trade, I think people assumed, oh, yeah, those are going from St. Louis to Philly in order for St. Louis to get Foles. And then when it came out that the, that the picks went the other way, so obviously it speaks to the fact that Chip Kelly really liked Sam Bradford, apparently. But were you surprised about that, that they had to give up picks plus I- Foles? The, the first knee-jerk reaction, obviously, is that. But then the more you read into it, the more you see – what Chip Kelly looks for in a quarterback and more of how Nick Foles was possibly a product of playing in incredible offenses with incredible offensive lines and LaShawn McCoy. There were a lot of factors that contributed to Foles' numbers. And then when you really break it down, you know, the, the most important thing that Chip Kelly looks for in a quarterback is repetitive accuracy and quick release. And Foles was holding on to the ball too long. He wasn't making the decisions fast enough. And Sam Bradford's known for, you know, aside from being injury prone for having an incredible football mind, an incredible vision on the field and quick release. So, you know, those were, that's what Chip Kelly was looking for. He, 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 he looked past other short, you know, shortfalls of Bradford, but the, the thing he cared most about is obviously something that we, that the average fan didn't see, but it's, it's clearly, you know, so what, what, what made Bradford the number one overall pick in 2009 or whatever. It was. Well, hold on, but if high percentage is important, I got to point out that Sam Bradford's career completion percentage yes, is 50 I know, I know, because he was not, he was in different offense. The offense that Sam Bradford played at Oklahoma, which I believe he had an incredible, like something like 70% something completion percentage, was a high-speed, spread-based, read option, uh, no-huddle offense, which is, I guess, Chip Kelly was looking back to those statistics and that skill set when he's bringing him into the Eagles offense. You know, you look at the Jeff Fisher run offense and with, you know, the <laughs> Brian Quick and Tavon Austin, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't exactly a recipe for success. And, you know, you can also, there was a YouTube video that all Eagles fans were passing around after the trade of every single throw that Sam Bradford made in the last two seasons and the amount of drops and poorly run plays and 
amount of time that Bradford was running for his life could easily contributed to his. Well, was that a YouTube video or a Vine? All Bradford's throws from that. <laughs> that is funny, but he did play uh, nine games two years ago, so we have some tape. By the way, uh, so Mark Sanchez. Uh, had a 54% completion percentage in his last year on the Jets, and that was uh, his career completion percentage was in the 54s as a Jet, and he jumped up to 64. So, you know, using that, uh, Bradford, you know, a 58 elsewhere in the in the Kelly offense should be well into the 60s, I think. And I, you know, what what happens if they ever got Drew Brees in a Kelly offense? He might throw 80. It, it's it's quick decision making and the right reads, and that's that's what you want in a quarter in a Chip Kelly offense. I mean, obviously, everyone says. He needs to run. He needs to run. That's one element of it. But the way the way the the schemes are designed are, you know, your your first two reads are going to come on the, on the, uh, the second your you know the third the third step of your three step drop hits the ball is going to be out and that's gonna that's gonna hopefully lead to less hits hopefully lead to the offense you know continuously moving and the the speed of the offense allows for a lot of big plays when defenses are on their heels. And is, T- is Tim Tebow a serious part of this team, or is he just sort of a, a preseason distraction like he was in the Pats a couple of years ago? I, th- I think Chip Kelly, you know, has that build, a little bit of Bill Belichick in him where he's always kicking the tires on different things. And, you know, he, if, if he plays, he's not, you know, put it this way, if he's the third quarterback and not number one and number two go down, he's probably going to sign a street free agent to put in. Chip um, Kelly, he's a smart guy. He knows that Tim Tebow can't throw. Everybody knows Tim Tebow can't throw. I don't care how many pump-up videos ESPN puts on him that he's improved his throwing motion. It's a joke. He can't throw. He's not an NFL quarterback, and you know he'll he'll either run two-point conversions, you know, on a on a read option three times a season, or he'll play in the punt coverage team. He's not a quarterback. Yeah, if you want a good read, go back now. Now that the Tebow thing is like five years old, go back now and and read. I think it's a GQ article about Tebow called "The Year of Magical Stinking." And it will really bring back some fond memories. Like it, nothing in the history of like my in my 25 years as like an NFL fan, uh, there's never been anything like Tebow was legitimately like tanking. You know, like if he was, I, it would like it wouldn't be shocking to find out like he was actively trying to lose, and they were winning those games. Like one of them was against the Vikings. Games. I remember that. That, that, I mean, Bron- that Broncos defense was very good. Also, that was really good. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Peyton Manning arrived to the same team the next year, and they instantly turned into a Super Bowl contender. All right, so so then let's turn to some of the other moves they made on offense. They added DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews uh, in place of Shady McCoy. As I'm sure you know, Ryan Matthews has never played a full season. DeMarco Murray had never played a full season until last year when he had over 400 carries, um, and that was behind the best offensive line in the league. So, you know... Shady McCoy has been, you know, as running backs come, he's been pretty durable. And and it just seems to me that there's almost no chance that you can assume that Murray or Matthews will make it through the season alive. Well, that's why they're both there. Okay. So the the, the idea is that, look, Sean McCoy was not the problem. Sean McCoy was expensive, and it's hard to allocate that much money to one running back. Yeah, but they gave a huge contract to Murray then. So so the the math is, is simple. They were going to give McCoy $12 million. And they're giving Matthews four and Murray six, so they're still coming. They still come out ahead. In terms they, of the cap hit this year, you're saying? Yeah, they get yeah. a two-headed monster. And you know, Chip Kelly hasn't come out and explicitly said this, but the the one cut and run downhill style of Matthews and Murray is more what he's looking for because McCoy would always bounce a lot of runs outside. He would chop in the hole. He was a little bit of a dancer. Well, you know, those plays often led to incredible highlights. There were a lot of negative plays, and Chip Kelly does not like negative plays. He wants four yards, five yards consistently, and then you you know you break them when the defense gets tired. But he wants 
one cut in the hole, four or five yards, second and five, third and ones. And, you know, a lot of the times with McCoy, you're on second and 12 after first down when he bounced a run outside. And I'm sure it was making him pull his head out, hair out. So for $12 million, move on and get players who fit the system. You know, he's a system court. You know, he's a system coach. He has, you know, same thing going back to Bradford. He wants a guy who does things his way. And, you know, I guarantee you if McCoy was only making $2 million, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But in conjunction with the first thing I mentioned, you know, he had to go. And quite honestly, I thought they were going to draft a sixth rounder and plug him in because I think any running back can play in the system. But uh, I guess he wanted somebody with a little more experience. Uh, moving to the wide receivers, you know, it's it's a very interesting group. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of buzz on, uh, how do you pronounce it, Aguilar? Yeah, Aguilar. Um, and, and obviously Jordan Matthews uh, came on a little bit last year. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of names that are Riley Cooper, uh, Ajira Tutu's fun to say. There's a, there's also a lot of buzz about Josh Huff, who was their oh, third, yeah? third round pick last year out of Oregon. Um, they say, you know, in camp he's looked explosive. He's, he's had a, he's a very physical wide receiver. There's a lot of people saying he's going to be uh, a serious contributor this year. So it, would, would you say this is a, like, uh, you know, league wide? Is this like an average group of receivers? It look, I mean, to me, it looks, Unless Aguilar really uh, is a stud player, you know, it looks like maybe a, a one of your weaker groups. Well, I hate to repeat myself again, but this is, this is a system. Chip Kelly feels that these players fit into his system. So, warning, hot take approaching. Uh, Eagles Hall of Famer Mike Quick was quoted two weeks ago saying that this is the Eagles' best group of wide receivers, one, two, three, ever. Wow. In terms of talent. So, Irving Fryer hater. That, that could be hyperbole. That could be nonsense. But what you have is a bunch of – you have three guys who have bought in, who have three guys who are hard workers, who know the system, who know their roles, and are physical and, you know, can overpower DBs. Um, can Agu- I just ask a question? When you call Mike Quick a Hall of Famer, did the Eagles have their own Hall of Fame? Yeah, he, but they retired his number. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, there's no Mike Quick in the Hall of Fame. Eagles Hall of Famer. Ah, okay. In the Quick Family Hall of Fame, he's up there, first ballot. <laughs> Um, but again, Matthews, I think is six, two, two, 20 something. Josh Huff is about six, one, two, 10, you know, is a big guy. Aguilar is six, one, one ninety five. You know, they're, they're big, strong and fast and they know the system. I mean, Matthews came in, uh, last year in his first year, put up big numbers. And I think, you know, what we've seen in the last couple of years is that rookie first round, um, wide receivers can contribute in the first year. All right, Shamir, I gotta ask you because you sound like uh, you keep mentioning the system. It sounds like yeah. you've bought into it more than anyone other than maybe Chip himself, and you've sort of justified each of the moves. How do you justify cutting Evan Mathis? That is more of an attitude, I believe. Chip Kelly's trying to cultivate a culture in the locker room, and I think Mathis just, you know, what's actually ironic. I, I should I should retract that statement. Is all the beat writers who cover the Eagles, who seem to know the team very well, um, felt that Mathis was a guy who bought in. They felt that Mathis was was the actually perfect Chip Kelly player, and him being cut because he was white, <laughs> low blow, but I'll take it. Um, and that is actually the most confusing of all the cuts. And it, it, you know, if you believe Chip Kelly at face value, what he said at the press conference, he was cut. That it was a numbers game. It was too expensive, six million dollars for a thirty-four year old guard. Uh, just you know, they couldn't afford it. Yeah, and, and because I brought up the race thing, I'll just say you know I think that. I think that Chip Kelly's issue is the same as a lot of these college coaches who come into the NFL, which is he's he's so used to being the guy in charge and telling a bunch of teenagers what to do, and in the NFL it's different. So I don't think it's a race issue. I think he just you know sort of looks down on players in general. But I the, think 
I think he views players as a commodity. I don't think he, yeah. he but, but The one sort of curious move was that Riley Cooper was a nobody who had, you know, had some decent numbers that, that the first year when Foles had the great season, but it, it seemed like he was more system guy than anything. And then they gave him a massive contract in the same offseason when he got into the trouble with what he said at the Kenny Chesney concert. And I understand, you know, Chip Kelly says, look, Mike Vick supported him. I'm not saying that they had to, you know, brand him and ship him out of town, but to give him that huge contract, you know, does the optics of that, you have to admit, at least looked sort of bad, especially in hindsight when he had a pretty bad season last year and now he's at the bottom of the depth chart this year. Well, it's, it wasn't a massive contract, but it was bigger for what a guy of his stature should be earning. Um, but he did put up good numbers that year. I think he had eight or nine touchdowns. He had you know close to a thousand yards, and he was the best blocking wide receiver on the team. So you know, on a team with Deshaun Jackson and Jeremy Macklin, who don't block, um, who, who can't block, or are not physically able to block, he was a guy that they wanted to lock up. They didn't know what the future held for each one of those players. I don't think at the time when they gave. Cooper the contract that they were just going to kick Deshaun Jackson to the curb. I think that was kind of, kind of that spiraled out of control a little bit in the off season. And then you know that he was the best player, or potentially the second best wide receiver on the Eagles, and they had to they couldn't just leave themselves empty-handed. And they, they they gave him a contract. I think the optics are terrible that he is white and he is terrible and he is highly paid. Um, but I think in that in that off season it was a prudent move, and I think I think it was actually lauded at the time. Actually, you know, hindsight's obviously horrible on that deal. I'm sure they wish they can get rid of him, but they're paying him his guaranteed money this year, so they can't get rid of him. You know who regrets it more than the Eagles for signing that contract? There's a family in my building that has two kids, and their names are Riley and Cooper. So, <laughs> Well, if you the um, the uh, avatar for our fantasy football league, um, my team name is Chip Wagon. It's a picture of Chip Kelly and Riley Cooper. You can check it out later. <laughs> All right, I'm checking it out right now. All right, so uh, we're going to play America's favorite game right now, Shamir. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure you've listened to all our podcasts. You know exactly what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I heard you guys. Go... I heard you guys hating on Eagles fans and, and uh, the Vikings one. The hell was all? Yeah. Uh, by the way, one thing I've noticed. Wait, but I, I defended Eagles fans compared to like New York fans and Boston fans. There's a lot yeah, of hate. I, I defend them too. I said Eagles fans care. Um, do, I, do I would care. say also every fan we've had has been really down on the Eagles. I'm not sure why, but I think almost usually to a man they've been. Uh, down in the Eagles. All right, so we're going to play the roster game. You know how this works. 50. Start with number 50. Tell me about Emmanuel Acho. <laughs> Emmanuel Acho was a training camp superstar from two seasons ago at a University of Texas. And he, I believe, I'm, 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 I'm 99% sure this is what happened. He was a training camp superstar, and all the fans were hoping that they would keep him. They ended up cutting him. He went to Tampa, and then he ended up coming back, I believe. Oh no! Mm-hmm. And is he no, is he going to get any playing time this year? No, he's a he's a reserve special teams player. Um, he played a little bit of middle linebacker last year when Danico Ryan's went down. He, he's a talented guy. He's undersized. He's got a lot of heart. His brother Sam Acho plays for the Arizona Cardinals, but he's uh, he's a more of an energy guy, fringe and bottom of the roster. You know. Critical special teams player, but he, the fans like him because you know he has a good he has a good story. I think he was an undrafted player who made the team, um, but not a not a star. All right, another number. Well, let's talk about seventeen. Tell me about a guy I've never heard of, Eric Tomlinson. Okay, Eric Tomlinson was a he's a blocking tight end. When Zach Ertz went down, they brought him in as a camp body. He was a guy who was supposed to just be there to block, and then he ended up in the first two preseason games being a primary offensive target. He caught a bunch of passes. He has no chance of making the roster, but he's a nice little story there. He's a big white tight end. I think he's 6'7", 
Um, is a, I think he went to Alabama or one of the SEC schools, and he's uh, he's a camp body who's catching a lot of passes in the preseason. He looked he looked pretty good, but the only reason he's even on the field is because Zach Ertz had a groin surgery. Uh, we haven't had anybody who's known every single player we've done, so let's do another one. Thirty-eight. Tell me about David Mollick. David Mollick is a center from Michigan. He was brought in last year when um, Jason Kelsey went down. I think he also had a hernia surgery early in the season. Uh, he was on the street. I think he was also uh, on the Titans roster at one point. He won the award for the best center in college football when he was there at Michigan. I forgot what the award is called, um, but he was the guy on the street. Eagles brought him in. He's very undersized. He's a below-average player, but he filled in admirably while Kelsey was down, and I think he's now the backup center. But he's he's not a, a star by any means. Oh, by the way, it's called the Remington Trophy. Remington, yeah, okay. the great Dave Remington. There you go. He was a good college player. Um, he played. I think he played in the first four games last year. And if everyone remembers, LaShawn McCoy was averaging two yards a carry for the first four games, and David Malk was the primary reason for that. Um, all right, I want to I want to move to the defense now, Shamir. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't talk about coordinators a lot for some reason on this podcast, but I am a little interested because you don't hear really anything about this Billy Davis. And I'm looking at his resume because you know the Eagles gave up 400 points last year. Yeah. Uh, and and maybe you'll tell me that part of it is, you know, they move the ball quickly and they score a lot. So by, you know, the nature of doing that, maybe you'll give up more points. Wait, so, so Davis has had two brief court, uh, coordinating stints with the Niners and with the Cardinals. Uh, he's been ousted after two years each time. This is his third season as an Eagles coordinator. Coordinators who give up 400 points when a team doesn't have an especially great year, uh, you know, frequently get fired. So is this like a friend of Kelly's? Like, you know, are you confident in his system and the way the defense is going, like how, and how much say does Kelly? It's not a Rex Ryan situation where where you know he's completely ignoring the defense. I imagine, but how invested is Kelly in the defense? Well, their front seven is among the best in the NFL. I think their interior linemen, you can make the argument, are the best run stoppers in the NFL. They had issues at linebacker. D'Amico Ryan's was hurt. They they could not figure out who to play last year, and they had Bradley Fletcher and Carrie Williams as two outside corners who were among the most beatable corners in the league going deep. They were consistently getting burned for deep, deep, deep touchdowns. They had an incredible defense against the run. They had a lot of sacks. They were constantly were getting quarterback pressure. But when quarterbacks had time to throw, they would just throw it right over the top of Fletcher and Kerry Williams' head. And, you know, I don't know if you remember the way the Eagles game ended last year against Arizona when Carson Palmer threw the, about a 70-yard touchdown with 13 seconds left in the game to John Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember late in the season against in December when Des Bryant caught three touchdowns over Bradley Fletcher's head late in the season, they were susceptible to the deep ball. It was a joke. It was an absolute joke, and they couldn't figure out how to stop it. And every, it was just it was a snowballing problem. They overhauled the entire secondary. They drafted the guy in the second round, Eric Rowe. They brought in um, Byron Maxwell from Seattle. They brought in Walter Thurman to play safety, and. Um, they brought in a couple other guys also who are not necessarily starters, but Nolan Carroll became a starter. He was a, he was the nickel guy last year. They got rid of Boykin. They have a guy, Jalen Watkins, they drafted out of Florida two years, who's, you know, a good player. So they basically overhauled the weakness of the defense because, you know, points is only one aspect of the defensive metrics. I mean, they were incredible, they were incredible against the run. They did not give up big running plays. They did not really give up, they didn't have a bad third down defense. It was just, there were a lot of long touchdowns that kind of skewed the numbers and especially with points. No, but, I mean that's the way the league is going. Like there's yeah. some of the best teams, some of the worst teams in the NFL last year 
we're great against the run. You know, teams aren't really running, so it's not. Yeah, such and a also like you say, you know, points are one metric. Well, yards—they're even worse than yards. They were bottom five uh, defense in yards both of the last two years. I mean, they're always going to be bad in yards because of but their. That goes, that goes to the amount of time they spend on the field, right? Yeah. Um, but no, so Billy Billy Day, to, to answer your first question, Billy Davis has a history of not being a good defensive coordinator, and when he was hired, there were a lot of people who were scratching their head. And I think most people have come around because this this Eagles front seven is ferocious. They get after the quarterback, and everyone felt that Bradley Fletcher and Carrie Williams were not Billy Davis's problem. He, you know, there was there's only so much you could do with it being dealt that that set of cards. Well, look, I mean, you know, clearly as you said, you know, their offense is they've had a top five offense since Kelly arrived. Although to be fair, they had a top five offense. You know, most of, of the, of the second half of the Reed era, uh, other than of course the last season when everything fell apart. So it's really his defense that he needs to work on. And, you know, the front seven you see more confident in. The secondary, as you said, was a big problem last year. They got rid of Williams and Fletcher. They brought in Byron Maxwell, who, who looked good in Seattle, but he also had the benefit of covering number two receivers because he had Richard Sherman on the other side. Um, and then the other issue is, is, you know, I think, I think Eric Rowe, is he going to be the other starting corner? Is that right? He's going to be a safety, um, oh, it's safety. Flash nickel corner. No, um, Ro, um, the the starters on the outside are going to be Maxwell and Nolan Carroll, okay. and either Rowe or Jalen Watkins in the slot. Oh, okay, so Rowe might be in the slot. Look, they they've obviously paid Maxwell to be a number one guy, and, and yeah. so and so that, that's what they need from him. But I, I guess what I'm just wondering is, is there a, any scenario under which the Chip Kelly, you know, if, and we'll get to the schedule in a couple of minutes, but you know, if the Eagles went, let's say six and ten this year, would Kelly's job be at risk? I don't think so. I, I think I think the only thing if that puts his job at risk is if the offense doesn't score points. But I think they're going to put up over 500 points this year. I think most people do. I, don't, I think it would be it would, it would be shocking to anybody. There was there was a couple of games last year. I think one was against Seattle. I was at that game um, late in the season where they were they weren't scoring points and it was people were freaking out about it. I think that more than anything, more than the defense, you know, would would help him lose his job. You know, if if the great Chip Kelly offense stops scoring and it becomes predictable and teams are ready for it, and you know, and I remember there was one game against the Giants two seasons ago where they they had a snap countdown and they were blowing up the you know a lot of different things. You know, sometimes sometimes it doesn't click, but you know, for three straight years he's put up over 450 points a season. I don't think I think the only thing he only way he loses his job this year is if they become a the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, I just want to point out, you said 500 points. You know, nobody scored 500 points last year. The Packers, the Broncos. So I mean, that that's you're saying that they're going to be even significantly better than last season. I think they're going to be they're going to be a significantly better offense. They had made nine games with Mark Sanchez last year. Nine. Well, and you're, I mean, well, and Bradford's going to play 16 this year. I mean, <laughs> I think I think Brad I think Bradford plays a minimum of 14 games this year. Yes. I mean, you know. I've read all the articles. I mean, the Eagles, you know, front offense has done a lot of research in this. You know, their their doctors have come out and said that Bradford has a 10% chance of, re- of tearing his ACL. So there's a 90% chance he doesn't tear his ACL this season. I think I think he plays, you know, he, he had a shoulder problem in college also. But, you know, the quarterback position is a dangerous position. You know, Tom Brady tore his ACL. You know, Peyton Manning had his neck fused back together. I mean, injuries happen at the quarterback position. Yeah, but those guys also haven't missed a game in their careers other than those one season. Let's go to the schedule. Uh, You know, one interesting thing I noticed as we look at the schedule, the Eagles, prior to last year, they had losing records at home four years in a row. Um, You know, was that just sort of an anomaly? Or why why have the Eagles struggled at home more than on the road in the last few years? That's a great question. I don't know. it, it could be pressure. It could be. It, it could be they had the, you know, the the wrong game plan. I think they were maybe too confident at home. I don't know. 
But right. so you know, let's go to the schedule. Um, and you know, I think it's it's a relatively easy schedule, all things considered. Um, and we'll definitely we'll get to see a lot of them in the first half of the season because I think I count one, two, three, four, five of their first eight games are going to be on national television. And it starts week one when they have the early Monday nighter at Atlanta. On Rosh Hashanah. They're, you know, who knows what you're getting with Atlanta. Atlanta was horrible last year. I think they have a new coach this year. Um, but the Eagles play well in the Dome. Obviously, the fast track works for them. Um, I think that the Atlanta defense is, you know, susceptible to, you know, they don't have, I don't even know, I can't even name one player on their defense, to be honest with you. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not a highlight defense. They're, they gave up thousands of points last year. I think the Eagles are going to run all over them in the opener. Akiva, I, think Shab- Akiva, I told you we should not have Shamir as our Falcons guest. <laughs> I just, I'm vindicated now. Yep. Okay. So then- right, well, you're not wrong. The the Falcons. Uh, I'm looking at the. You're just using the Pro Football Focus numbers. They only have one player above average on their entire defense. Uh, Desmond Trufant. Uh, just for a frame of reference, the Eagles, who don't even have a good defense, uh, or at least didn't last year, have nine players who are above average. Wow. No, All right, okay, I mean, so week two you come home and, and you face uh, the hated Cowboys, and this is a, a 4 o'clock game, and it's the only 4 o'clock game on Fox, and the only two 4 o'clock games on CBS, uh, one features the Jaguars, one features the Raiders. So I would assume that 90% of the country is going to be watching Cowboys yeah. and Eagles. So Cowboys and Eagles is always a big event. I think the Eagles split split with them last year. They won in Dallas. They lost at home, I believe. Um, the Cowboys just lost Orlando Scandra to an, AC, to an ACL, so they just lost their top cover guy. They lost to Marco Murray. They don't play the Eagles well. The Eagles typically have been beating them, you know, pretty consistently over the last couple of years. I think at home, um, I think the Eagles take that one. Also, you know, I, I don't. That, that's not a game I would bet on, but I think that uh, Chip Kelly has shown that he steps up in, in, in big games, especially early in the season. I'll put it that way. I mean, they, right. they've come out, they've come out to fast starts the last couple of years. I think. Um, they had his first season. They were not. I think they went three and three in their first six. I think last year they started off six and two. So they have they they get off the hot starts. And I think they start off the season with that with that win at home against the Cowboys. All right. Well, this next series of games, if they can start two and zero, this next series of games before the bye really puts them in a situation to get on a hot streak. Uh, the first one is at New York to face the Jets uh, with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. Yeah. So Mark Sanchez comes back to New York. Although you said Bradford's playing fourteen games, but maybe this is one of the two that Sanchez gets a chance. No, I mean the Giant, the Jets front seven is pretty scary. They can they can get after the quarterback. They have Revis. They have some guys who can cover, but I, the, the Jets just they can't score with the Eagles. I mean, you yeah, know, I'm they, a Jets fan. Just just to be clear, their front three is pretty scary. They don't have really well, one above average well, linebacker. Richardson will still be on suspension when the Eagles come to town, right? So then, uh, yeah, no, but they still they still have about they still have two top players plus uh, a top pick in the draft. So that you know they'll they'll they're still loaded on the D line, but. They don't, you know, it's a little bit of a misconception. They don't really have any good linebackers. I think, I think the Eagles are, you know, they can win shootouts, and I, I don't, I think the Eagles defense will be able to keep the Jets, you know, pretty low scoring game. All right. I mean, so Jets, now you're three and zero, and you go on yeah. the road to Washington. Who's even quarterback at Washington at that point? I mean, RG three could be dead by then. Yeah, Colt McCoy, Kirk Cousins, who knows? Kirk Cousins nearly beat, nearly beat the Eagles last year early in the season, but I mean, the, the Redskins are a mess. They're a real mess. I mean, right. you, you know, it's a, so, it's a division. So you're chalking that one up as a win. Chalking it up as a win. I mean, I, I hate to chalk up divisional divisional games as wins in general. I, I don't like, you know, the, the the rivalries are too good. The teams are too familiar with each other. But I just don't, don't think the Redskins have any offense this season. I mean, right. they, so now you're four now, and you, now you have a little home streak ahead of you. Uh, in week five, you face the Saints at home. The Saints are the Saints are, you know, with, I don't know how they're going to look without Jimmy Graham. To be honest with you, I mean, they they score, they score a lot of points, um, and the Eagles. Typically give up a lot of points. I don't think they're going to give as many points as they do, as they do um, 
in the past, but the Saints don't play well on the road, especially, you know, outside of their dome. I, I think that's, that, that could be a win also. The Eagles should be favored in that game. I, I'm not – I don't I don't like to bet heavy on the Eagles against teams with, hot, with very high-powered offenses, given my – you know, given the sensitivity against the Eagles' past defense over the last couple of years. Um, but that should that they should be favored in that game also. All right, so now you're five and zero, and you obviously haven't heard our uh, Giants podcast yet. We just recorded it last night, but it's not going to be released for a couple of days. Um, although by the time others are listening to this podcast, if anyone is, they will have heard, and they will know that it's the undefeated New York Giants coming in uh, to Philadelphia at five and zero to face, in your opinion, the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. And that one's on Monday Night Football. So tell us what happens in Week Six. Again, divisional game. All bets are off. Um, well, you got you got to make one right now. Eli Manning, Eli Manning, at least last season and this preseason, has looked awful. Um, the Eagles' pass rush, I think they got to him seven times, either eight times last year in, in one of the games. I think they got they, they just they, one of the games was twenty seven nothing shutout where I think Eli was sacked seven times. All right, so give us a win or a loss in this game. I say they split with the Giants this year, so I'll take that one as a loss. If, if the Giants are coming in red hot five and zero, then. You know, I, I say the Eagles are going to win the, the one in December when it counts on the road in, in Giant Stadium. All right, so now you're five and one, and now you have consecutive games. Although there's a buy in between them on Sunday Night Football, so you know this team is off to a hot start, and we're going to see a lot more of them on national TV. Uh, so first in Week Seven, you go on the road to Carolina. The Eagles played Carolina on Monday Night Football last year also and obliterated them. Yep. And no Kelvin, no Kelvin Benjamin. Um, you know, no D'Angelo Williams. Not that he mattered much. I, I can't. I mean. I can't say much about the Carolina Panthers offense. Again, the Eagles win in a shootout. I say, the, uh, you know, 31-17. Okay. So well, it's a weird Sunday night game, uh, Eagles-Panthers. There's no way, like, Fox would even take this to be, like, the national 425 game. It wouldn't even get consideration. It's like, it's like the lowest profile Sunday night game, like, nationally that I, I've seen in many years, Eagles and Panthers, like, TV-wise. Warning. Hot take approaching. The NFL is artificially cropping up Cam Newton. I think he's crap. I agree. Hot take. Oh, a double hot take. I do think there's – yeah, because you guys, like, no offense to DeMarco Murray, but you guys don't really – like, the face of your team is your coach. There's no – you know, if you have to – you know, if I'm making a commercial, if I'm in the PR department for NBC, you know, it's a hard – you know, what are you saying? Like, Mark Sanchez and the Eagles are going – I don't know. And the Panthers have, you know, as small a following as basically any team in the league, so – uh, I, I just say, also Akiba, go over a month without a game that's at you know during the day. Akiba, Three straight night games plus a bye. Akiva, you're uh you know I think because you used to work on Sunday Night Football, you really focus on it a lot, and you're always obsessed with oh that game shouldn't be on Sunday Night Football. There's crappy games on Sunday Night Football all the time. The pre- just the previous week uh, in this season, they're gonna have or maybe it's two weeks before they're gonna have 49ers at the Giants. That's not a good game. That's not a game. Uh, no, I mean the Giants are a much bigger national team than than the Eagles, Panthers, and they and it's early, so they're assuming maybe the Niners get one or two wins, or they're hoping, and and the Niners are in a total train wreck for that game. But I don't know. There's, also, there's also like a Bears at Packers game later in the season. I mean the Bears are maybe just somebody did something at NBC to piss. Uh, you know maybe they're mad. I'm not there anymore. Like maybe you know somebody did something to upset them. Like you know ESPN. ESPN thinks that they got a bad schedule this year because of Bill Simmons and what he said about Goodell. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, so, so now you have a win. Now you're six and one going into the bye. Jeez. And then you guys have yeah. another road Sunday night football game at Dallas. So that's a loss. It's a, it's a big game. The Cowboys are not. The Cowboys are a good team. They're at home, national television. Eagles are you know coming a little coming a little cocky. 
I think they get, I think they, you know, they, they get out coached and lose that one. I think that, uh, you know, Jason Garrett's a good coach. I think they have, they have a firepower. You know, I think they, they win that game, you know, field goal, walk off field goal in the fourth quarter. Low scoring game. I think defense wins that game. I say 24. Are we walk offs to football now? 24-21 Cowboys, late field goal in the fourth quarter. Well, we talked on the Cardinals podcast. We talked about the walk-off win that the Cardinals had over the Vikings in 2003. And uh, there was the walk-off win that the Eagles had. But it's not, uh, we like, don't call it a walk-off. Yeah, well, I but the like. Eagles had the walk-off win against the Giants when um, Deshaun Jackson had the crazy punt return touchdown, right? Wasn't that a walk-off? Uh, that was, no, that there's was no such thing as a walk-off in football. Uh, there's no time on the clock. You walk it off, baby. All right. Walk. Okay, so. All right, so you guys so have home games against the, uh, against the pair of Florida teams. The next two weeks, Miami and Tampa Bay. Well, we don't know what Jameis Winston is going to look like. I mean, he reminds me a lot of Cam Newton's rookie season, you know, where everyone thought he was going to be terrible and he was ended up being pretty good. I don't know what they're going to look like. I mean, Mike Evans is a freak. But hold on, Vince you Jackson. played the Dolphins the week before, though. I mean, I hate being the guy saying that they're going to start off nine and two, but wait. So those, yeah, are, both, so those are both wins. That would put you at eight and two. But you have them down as both both his wins. Definitely Tampa. I don't know about Miami. I mean. They 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 made they added some nice players this year. They don't have a lot of off. I mean they they got rid of Mike Wallace. I mean who do they have at receiver? They have Jarvis Landry. They have Devontae Parker, the rookie. Parker. I mean it's, it's warning. Hot take approaching. Tannehill still garbage. I mean. Oh, oh another hot take. Akiva loves Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, Tannehill's good. This is like an Tannehill. NFC uh, an NFC homer, Shamir. Tannehill Tannehill's a nice player, but I don't. I'm not. I'm not. You know, if they put ten on your team, you'd be predicting them to win the Super Bowl this year. Warning, hot take approaching. I, I think I would take a healthy Bradford over a healthy Tannehill. Oh, wow, wow, that is the hottest wow. take. Bradford has never had a game equal to what Tannehill. Look at Tannehill's numbers last year; they're right, really let, good. Let's not get into another Ryan Tannehill debate because it's like the fourth podcast <laughs> we've had on. By the way, I hate the Dolphins, and I hope Tannehill gets hit by a bus tonight. Oh, that's harsh. <laughs> um, you know what? That bus, like driver, that bus, bus driver's in a lot of trouble because have you seen Tannehill's wife's gun collection? His wife has a gun collection. Oh, it's extensive. Yeah. It's Florida. That, We've already. All right, we're not gonna we're not gonna rip Florida people anymore. We've already gotten in trouble for that. Uh, every episode we have to rip Florida, and we have to mention Ari Glacier. Those are the rules. All right. Uh, so, um, and then so you guys wait, go hold on, to. Hold on. Can we just get on the record? Oh. So is, that, is that Dolphins game a win or a loss? Win, win Tampa, lost to Miami for no for no reason at all. Just a loss to Miami. So seven and three. Seven and three. Yeah, and then the schedule gets a little tougher. Uh, you guys, on a short week, you go to Detroit on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, that's a tough one. Not historically. <laughs> no, not historically, but no, but I think the, the Lions have been winning recently on Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's uh, a good Thanksgiving matchup also. Like, a lot of points. It should be an exciting yeah. game. I remember, the, I think the last time the Eagles played on Thanksgiving, they had a night game against the Cardinals. They scored 48 points, so I think... Uh, I think the Eagles. The Eagles do like primetime games. I think they like the. I say they win in Detroit, eight and three. And then you're. Uh, then you guys have ten day uh, mini buy, and then you guys go t- to New England for the big national Sunday game. Loss. Possible Loss. Super Bowl preview. If you're eight oh, three. Right. I think that. I think the Eagles. I think. I think the uh, the Patriots go one and three with Jimmy Garoppolo, and they go on a tear when Brady comes back. And we're going to be in the midst of their tear. So I think at this point they've uh, the, the Eagles have clinched not being able to win the division according to Berlin. If I, I try to be, I try to be, I try and be a realist. I have the Eagles at eleven and five or twelve and four this year. I'm just trying now, to figure hold on, out. Hold on, hold on. We're at eight and four. Now you're being a spoiler. Spoiler All right. All right, eight and four. What happened? All right, so here? now it's not a bad uh, three-game home swing here in December. You host Buffalo. Tyrod Taylor and the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, yeah we love Tyrod Taylor here. Yeah. You Tyrod love, Taylor. You love every AFC East quarterback except your own, Akiva. Sean McCoy. Um, no, I hate Brady. His... Oh, so, so Tyra Taylor and uh, and Ryan Tannehill are both better than Brady. Yeah, that's one two. That's the one two. Yeah. All right. So yeah, does uh, does Shady McCoy uh, get revenge? Yeah, he'll get a he'll get a long touchdown. You know, in a, in a thirty four to seven loss. 
right. Now you guys host Arizona the next week. Host Arizona. That's, that's, a, that's an interesting game. That's a tough game. But that, is Arizona coming across the country, playing on the road late in the game? It's going to be cold. That's an Eagles win. Saturday night football. Got to love the NFL giving us some Saturday night football. Uh, hosting the Redskins. The Redskins knocked the Eagles out of the playoffs last year in an ex- in an extremely winnable game. I'll say we get revenge, win that game, sweep the season series. And you guys go to New York. Maybe this game gets flexed to the night game. Maybe it's a really big game. Who knows? Right. So that was what I mentioned earlier. I had the Eagles losing in the earlier matchup and then getting their revenge to clinch the playoffs in in uh, in the Meadowlands. So you have the Eagles at twelve and four. Um, so Akiva has him 15th ranked. You think he's insane. I have him 7th ranked, and you would think that's even too low. I had the Eagles at 12-4 scoring over 500 points. Please make mark that down as well. Yeah. Uh, Akiva, I just need to point out, you know, we still haven't got to the top 10 teams in the league, and our collective uh, fans' uh, predictions are already 30 <laughs> games over 500. Oh, boy. Well, maybe there'll be some pessimistic, like, Packers and Seahawks fans. Yeah, th- those teams all have to go 0-16 to get us back uh, to equilibrium. <laughs> So there we have it. Uh, uh, Shamir, a, a, a big believer in the Chip Kelly system, he has Very the Eagles good. going twelve and four, which I assume means winning the division, possibly getting a bye. Although you still have to deal with, you know, presumably Green Bay and Seattle at least, if no one else. I assume you're winning the division, right? The Cowboys aren't going to be better than twelve and four. I think, I think especially, especially the Eagles should have the tiebreak because they're going to be scoring five hundred points this year. So, uh, yeah. no. so, so do you do you think this team is a legitimate Super Bowl contender? No. Not yet. I think they're. I think they're a contender. Well, for you the, can't go twelve and four and not be a Super Bowl contender. No, because I, I still think I still think that there's a big there's a big difference between the Seahawks, the Packers, and the Eagles. I think I think we're we're, we're one more player in the secondary away from that from happening. I think we need an elite safety. So basically, so, so your goal is to to make it to the second round, and then you have to go on the road at Green Bay or Seattle, basically. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that it'll take it'll take a miracle to win in Seattle or in Green Bay in the playoffs. And I think that if they could find, you know, the the odds are against it this year, but if they, if they can get someone in their secondary to turn into an elite, elite, elite lockdown player or a superstar player to really, you know, bring up the back end of that defense, I don't think it's going to happen yet. I think we're one, we're one player away. All right. Well, you know, I think I think it'll take a miracle for Sam Bradford to play through the season. But you know what? The Chip Kelly and the Eagles went ten and six with uh, at that point nobody, Nick Foles, a quarterback, taking over for the injured Mike Vick. And then last year they went ten and six with Mark Sanchez taking over for Foles. So two words, two words for you: sports science, baby, sports science. Uh, did you see? Did you? There was an article on Deadspin a couple weeks ago making fun of uh, Philadelphia, uh, the 76ers and the Eagles, and it basically said all you need to do to say to any fan from Philadelphia is the word uh, is the word uh, advanced stats or sabermetrics or science. I don't remember what it was, and he says they won't even know what it means in Philadelphia, but they they've bought into it. So, <laughs> how do how do you feel about the Sixers and Anna Hinky? I love it. I think it's a great plan. I think <laughs> yes. I, I think the only way the only way to win in the, NFL, the NBA, the only way to win is to keep drafting at the top of the at the it's top to of the lose draft. forever. The only way to win is to never win. So there you have it. Uh, Shamir Simon, a big believer in the system, whether it's uh, Hinky and the Sixers, whether it's Kelly and the Eagles. He sees them going twelve and four, winning the division. The uh, the uh, the top of, of tier two in the NFC outside of the the two favorites in Green Bay and Seattle. Shamir, thanks for joining us. You're on Twitter at Tony the Hippo. Is that correct? That's right. I'll be retweeting a lot of good Eagle stats all season long. <laughs> and uh, and what's the reason for Tony the Hippo, by the way? Tony the Hippo was a very creative and unique thing in seventh grade that I came up with that separated me in the Jewish teen chat rooms. <laughs> oh, was this AOL teen chat? These were the yeah the ASL baby. <laughs> we should all bring right. back the, the chat room. 
Um, you well, know, really, I mean, it, there, you know, there's no reason why it doesn't still exist. Talking around sure. people on the internet? It does. Yeah. It's, just, it's just not limited to the chat room anymore. Instead of Tinder. That's what, that's what Twitter is. Yeah, or, or, I mean, chat room, I had a moment a few years ago, like five, six years ago. Yeah, a lot of penis. <laughs> well, that's really the internet in general. On that pleasant note, I think we're going to sign off, Shamir. Uh, good luck to the Eagles this year, and we will see. Uh, we're going to keep, uh, keep track and see if they get not only 12 wins, but if they get 500 points this year. Will do. Looking forward. I will be. I, every time the Eagles have a big scoring week, I'm going to be tweeting at both of you guys. All right, there we go. All right, thanks a lot, Shamir. All right, peace. Whew, Akiva. So there we go. A Cardinals fan and an Eagles fan, both convinced their team is going 12 and four this year. Yeah, I mean, I guess someone has to go four and 12, but uh, it's possible for them both to go 12 and four. Well, someone has to go four and 12, but not someone who has uh, analyzed the team for us this year. Uh, no, other than the other, other than FEMA, the Niners fan. Yeah, yeah. Our league as a whole is now 35 games over 500, and I note that we haven't even got to the top 10 yet. Things are going to. Re- are we, we going to end at like a 63 percent winning percentage? What do you predict? Well, we're at 55 percent now. Let at this point, nobody else is going under 500, though. Oh, no one else is going under 12 and four. Let's say you know. Right. If everybody else remaining predicted their team to go 12 and four. Mm-hmm. That would give us a 61% win percentage. So I guess right. the over-under should be about 61. Yeah, we'll probably end up on about 60. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Did you see the post that Sinensky had? You know, I, I post the episodes on Facebook, and Sinensky put a comment on that referencing a Deadspin article from a couple of years ago, which said, I've looked at my team's schedule, and for sure we're going at least 11-5 and five this year. And it's sort of tongue-in-cheek, oh, you know, well, we're definitely improved on past seasons, and we're definitely going to, you know, we're going to beat all the teams in our division, except maybe that really good team. Oh, we'll split with them at the worst. And, oh, we always get basically sounding like every single person who's been a guest on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but look, that's what the NFL is about. It's, you know, Deadspin was making a joke, but it's true, and our podcast proves it further. Fans, even when they're trying to be objective, they're looking through rose colored glasses in late August. Well, I'm not. I, the Jets are probably going to go in 16. That's what I've really decided. Yeah, but you said 7 and 9, which for a team that went 4 and 12 did, did is a I dramatic really 7 and 9? Yeah. Oh, man. You and Sinetsky said 7 and 9. I think, I think Harold said 11 and 5. And, and let's keep in mind, what percentage of teams who went 4 and 12 the previous year even go 7 and 9 the next year? Like, that would be a massive improvement. Yeah, I mean, you have the new coach, so I guess, uh, you know. Yeah, most 4-12 and 12 teams have new coaches. That's how it works, that's true, you know. That's true. <laughs> okay, so uh, we will be back tomorrow with the 10th-ranked San Diego Chargers. Have a good night. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply step into the world of power loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.